Dragged into left center, and what a play made by the rookie Brian O'Grady. Pitch. Oh, into right field. Brian O'Grady, first big league home run. Fly ball, center field struck well. Marisnik going back at the wall. Welcome back, Brian O'Grady. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 27 of Breaking Bats, presented to you by Not For Long Media. I'm your host, Brian O'Grady. With me, as always, my co-host, Justin Ayers. J.A., wow, what a uh, what a end of the week it was in the baseball world. Um but before we get to that stuff, how you doing, man? What's going on? I'm great, man. Yeah, you're right. It's It's been a busy weekend. Uh, we're taping this on Monday. Um, obviously, we're gonna get, we're getting into the baseball news off the top, but just uh, a very you – know, it's a weird time in the sport, I think. Um, and also, it was just a weird time to receive the news. It was on Friday night, and I was going to go see the new Brad Pitt bullet train movie, and I got a text from one of the guys that we work with here at, uh, at you know Not For Long Media, and he's like, Tatis OMG and I'm like what what happened I that that's you never you never want to get a text like that and I had to google it and I'm like yep there's there's Jeff Passon's tweet about it so um a lot we're gonna get into the 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 Tatis stuff we have a couple very good top fives at the end and uh some really fun stuff in the middle there so um yeah dude it's I I can imagine you knowing him it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to talk about yeah definitely was uh Weird thing for me to wake up to here in Japan. I had a bunch of text messages and I'm like, well, what is going on? But uh, we will get into all that. And man, great interview this week too. to throw this in there with uh, World Series champ Matt Adams. Um, <clears throat> man, what a great dude. Great stories. Just I had a ton of fun talking to him about everything. Uh, so definitely want to hang around and listen for the interview at, at the end of all this. But um Man, he was one of my favorites for sure to talk to. Uh, and I, we've actually t- talked a little bit since we recorded that too, man, that, about hitting and stuff. And he hit, I think it was yesterday or the day before, he hit an absolute bomb Yes, at like his eyeballs. And I was like, dude, how, how do you even do that? Like as a lefty too, I'm like, how do you hit that ball? It was so uh, great swing, fired me up. But yeah, Matt Adams interview. Uh, phenomenal yeah as a nationals fan it was everything i could have hoped for and more just like the the 2019 national stories that we got to hear from matt just like the gerardo para coming in on a scooter in the clubhouse the baby shark just what it felt like when when daniel hudson closed the door in the ninth and they they walked away world series champion back in houston so um it's a great great conversation and you're right there's there's some other really cool like nuggets in there too so um yeah definitely stay tuned for that but before we get to all of that, this episode is brought to you by our friends at, over at Psalm Sleep. So are you having trouble getting enough sleep at night? If you're watching on YouTube and you see the bags under my eyes, you know that I am. Uh, Psalm Sleep has this all covered, though. The scientifically advanced Psalm snack includes ingredients that are naturally found in your body like GABA, magnesium, and melatonin. Sleep is the best form of recovery, and it has helped people everywhere take their games to the next level. It's simple. All you have to do is drink one serving just 30 minutes before bed, and your body will naturally calm itself down. Other sleep supplements leave you feeling groggy in the morning, not some sleep. Wake up feeling refreshed and ready to conquer your day. 
So what you're going to do is go to getsom.com. You're going to click shop and enter the code BATS. That's B-A-T-S at checkout for 10% your entire order of Psalm Sleep. All right, we talked about it. It's time. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. was suspended for 80 games on Friday after he tested positive for a PED called Clostaball. Tatis put out a statement through the MLBPA that said he, quote, inadvertently took that PED uh, to treat ringworm. However, Clostaball is an anabolic steroid, and it's never prescribed to treat ringworm. The drug that is prescribed to treat ringworm is a few letters off of that, and it's called clobetazole. So that was a fun time on Twitter over the weekend where people were trying to figure out what was happening. So like I said, 80 games. It started last Friday. It's going to go through the the rest of the 48 regular season games. How long it goes into 2023 will all depend on how deep the Padres go into the postseason if they indeed do get there. So uh, Brian obviously played in San Diego last year. He knows uh, Fernando personally. So Brian, I'm just going to kind of step back and give you the floor here. Oh, geez. I've been, I told you this before. I've been thinking about this since it happened because obviously we have to talk about it. And I have so much and also just don't even know what I want to say at at the same time. Um, First, you know, I, from just a fan, like as a fan, a baseball fan and a little bit of a Padres fan because I know most of those guys. It sucks because I wanted to see that lineup together, man. That was going to be electric and, you know, the showdowns with the Dodgers and the Mets, I think were going to be great too. With that being said, I just want to say that the Padres still have a great team and have a legitimate opportunity to still be in the playoffs and win a world series. You know, obviously it helps to have a player like Tatis to do that. But like they've said in the interviews, since it's happened, they haven't had them all year and they're where they're at now. And they, they, you know, they added Juan Soto and those guys late to that stuff. So they're, they're still a very viable team can still win. So from the fans perspective, as a fan and from the fans perspective, it sucks that he's not going to be there. The timing of it sucked. I feel like it made it suck more too, because he was finally playing again. He was in his rehab assignment. You know, it just hit a double and a triple or whatever. Like there was video you could see he was on his way back and you're, you know, we're only a week away from having everything together. And then bam, this comes down and that's gone. So that I'm sure made it tough too. For <laughs> God, as a, as a player, you know, everybody, Before his statement even came out, I was seeing things on Twitter and stuff from baseball people or whatever, just saying, you know, where's the classic statement saying I didn't know what I was taking or inadvertently took something, you know, like classic. And of course, then it came and it's (laughs) 
his dad came out this morning saying the same, you know, talking about getting a haircut and getting ringworm and, and that's where it came from. And in the Dominican, they have different, <clears throat> you know, medicine over the counter or whatever than we do here. So let's telling the truth. And that is what happened. Well, that sucks. But also, as players, there's no excuse to not know what's going in your body. Um, we have – I have all my supplements sitting right here. They're all – I use – they're called Clean Athlete. And in the MLB, what you need to use is NSF certified. Any supplement you take needs to be NSF certified. So – that's all I in in Japan. It's it's the Olympic stuff. It's WADA, so World Anti Doping Agency, which I think the MLPs Act might even be stricter than that. But so I take all that. That's the only stuff I take. If there's any, if you get any medicine that is not from Padres doctors or team doctors, you need to get it checked with them. And maybe he, he might say it's during the lockout and I couldn't talk. Uh, I think they probably would have been able to talk, you know, if something serious like that was going on. You got to – the end of the day, as a player, your it's your responsibility to know what you're, what is going in your body. Can't get around it. That's, that's assuming he's telling the truth with, with his story which I know a lot of people don't believe. Assuming he's lying <clears throat> and he's not, you know, that story is BS. My guess would be that he was doing it to get back on the field faster. I don't think he was doing it to try to be a better player or get something more. Um, he's obviously a, a fantastic player and his game, you, you know, he's, he's not small, but he's not this gigantic like steroid power hitter, like, you know, guys back in the day were or something either. He's a really good athlete. He's really like long and uses his long levers to whip the bat and things like that. And that's where he kind of gets his power from. So, I don't think that was what he was doing. I think it would be, yeah, that he obviously messed up with the motorcycle stuff in the beginning and was mad about it and was trying to get back on the field, which I understand, but obviously you can't, can't do it. And that's all there is to it. <clears throat> and, you know, from knowing him personally, I met him, like I've said before, in 2018 in winter ball, before he made his debut, his dad was our manager in the, in the DR. And he was coming back from, I think, a thumb injury. I think he hurt his thumb like sliding in double A that year. And he was going to play. And I was just gotten down there and I was getting back into, you know, getting ready to play in the next couple of days. So it was really just me and him in the beginning, like taking batting practice and stuff together. And I mean, he was crushing balls, you know, he's, <laughs> I knew right then he was really good and, but he's always been nothing but good to me. Nice to me. 
very personable, very, you know, friendly. Like, so I don't really, I don't have anything bad to say about him as a, as a human being. I know it's kind of funny. It's kind of sad. And it's maybe true when things like this happen, you know, people start, you start seeing the things come out about how, how people are, you know, people, anonymous sources saying that he does whatever he wanted, didn't listen to people and things like that. And, Maybe that's true. Maybe people are just pissed and they're just throwing it on or mouth. Maybe people think that because of what has just happened. You know, who knows? But like I said to you before, I don't want to just keep talking for 45 minutes about this and just rat and ramble on. So um, what do you got to add to any of that slash what questions do you have so I can <laughs> try to narrow the focus a little bit more at a, at a time and not just babble for 50 minutes about the 10 different topics that I have in my head about this. All good. I mean, that was, that was fantastic. Uh, I wanted to kind of take us down uh, Mike Clevenger. So his teammate in San Diego, he, his quote, and I just really feel like the overall sentiment uh, of every one of the, the Padres players quotes about Tatis was all kind of the same, but I like Clevenger's the most Clevenger said, quote, this is the second time we've been very disappointed with him. You hope he grows up and learns from this and learns it's about more than just him right now. It would be nice to have somebody else, but we don't need anybody else. We've got everybody we need right here. And I, I think that that statement goes a long way to kind of show, um, you know, what kind of the vibe of the locker room and vibe of the clubhouse is, where it's like, yeah, it, it would be different if, if Tatis was there all year mashing balls and then this kind of, you know, sprung up just now. Like, I feel like that would be way different. But Ha-Sung Kim, I mean, this guy has been very under-the-radar good for the Padres this year. These stats are, are a little bit, I think they're two or three days old, but they just kind of go to you know prove my point here. And Ha-Sung Kim's last 34 games, he was batting 306. Uh, and with runners in scoring position this season, he's batting 301. And with runners in scoring position and two outs this year, he's batting 325. So timely hits, clutch hits, Ha-Sung Kim, gold glove caliber defense too, so... Um, but to take it back to Clevenger and just like the statements that we were reading over the weekend, um, did, did those kind of stand out to you? And, and would you kind of feel the same if you had a microphone stuck in your face about this? First, uh, Ha-Song is, Kim is, is awesome. Um, you could tell, you could tell he could hit. So now he's, it, you know, it's definitely an adjustment. Listen, the, especially for the KBO, the KBO pitching is not, close to major league pitching uh it's 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 not at all so hitting there is way different um than it is in the major leagues and kim just got thrown right into it so he's making those adjustments now which is great because he is he's definitely talented and defensively he's phenomenal he was phenomenal last year there's no doubt about that so if nothing else with him as your shortstop you know you're you're gonna get decent at bats at least Obviously, you just said he's been it's been getting even better, been getting really good at bats. But you know you're gonna get awesome defense at shortstop, which is probably most important there. <clears throat> yes, the vibes in the clubhouse, the the quotes definitely um weren't shocking. I will say slightly surprising in that. Everybody was just so direct about it. Like there was no beating around the bush or trying to kind of soften it. They were just 
those dudes were they were totally honest and good for them. But I think it uh, you have a certain your level of responsibility to your teammates and the, you know the guys in that clubhouse, no matter who you are. But when you're somebody like Tatis and somebody with that type of contract, there's higher expectations and higher responsibilities that come with it. Those guys in there, excuse me, um, they expect you to be out there and expect you to be helping them win games to try to win a World Series. So, obviously, this offseason, the motorcycle stuff, uh, and he's been missing since then, I'm sure people – we're not very happy about that. And we're disappointed in that. And even though they may have not have said that as publicly, I'm sure the feeling was there. You know, what are, what are you doing? You get, you can't be doing, you got to be smarter than that. We're, we're trying to win a world series and you're one of the biggest parts of that. We, we, we need you and you're <clears throat> making bad decisions like that. Now, You do that on top of it, and yeah, guys, um, that trust is just not gonna be, is just not gonna be there because when you're in a locker room like that and you're you're with a team working for that goal, you know, you just you have to be accountable, and guys are gonna other guys are gonna hold you accountable because <clears throat> they want to win. They know they have the talent to win and they don't want to waste their time. They might, you never know how many opportunities you're going to get to be on a really good team. It might be your whole career. If you're lucky, it might be one year. It might never happen for some guys. So those dudes in there are definitely disappointed because they know what he can bring to the table. They're also mad that they have to answer questions about whatever he's doing instead of what they've been busting their asses for all season when he hasn't been there either. And they're, you know, they're saying that making that pretty obvious that he hasn't been there and that they've been doing this without him anyway. And you just, you just lose trust. You know, now it's like, can we count on you? Can you, can we count on you to, to be there, to be on the field? Can we count on you to make these plays, whatever it is now, all those guys are, don't know the answer to that question. So it's definitely frustrating as a teammate. I think more than anything, probably having to talk about it is what is what's going to bother them the most, but they know they that they have a good team and that they can compete and, and win big games. So it's going to be interesting to see how it goes, but I will, I, I was slightly um, surprised with how direct the answers were from, from everybody uh, Preller to, to the, to the teammates and just kind of uh, the total, the total vibe, I guess it, it, it sounded like they were fed up, like they were hit that point. I, I would agree. Uh, you mentioned it, GAM uh, AJ Preller, his statement was, probably a little bit even more sharp than some of the guys in the, in like the, you know, the team itself, 
one line that I loved from, from Preller's statement, he said, quote, we are hoping that from the offseason to now there will be some maturity, and obviously with the news today, it's more of a pattern, and it's something we have to dig a little bit more into. So, um, you know, a very uncertain future. I mean, obviously he's still going to be with the Padres, but a very uncertain future when it comes to Tatis is standing in the locker room. I think there's some trust, obviously, like you mentioned, that has to be rebuilt there, um, you know, in terms of the pecking order. Like you, you thought of him and Machado last year of like these guys, like I think Tatis led all of, what was it the NL in home runs last year? He had 42. Um, so, you know, him, Machado, you're like, oh my gosh, this is like the best, you know, side of the infield of baseball. But now it's like, well, you know, the, so these guys, he's going to enter the, the clubhouse next year whenever he does, you know, because the 80 games will carry into next year. Um, and it's probably going to be a little uncomfortable for a while. So um, I, I think you, I think we summed that up pretty well. Um, anything else? Uh, I have a couple other news things. Yeah, a couple last quick things. One, Preller basically was the one who gave him that contract. Obviously, the owners have to sign off on something like that. But Preller now it doesn't look stupid. But, you know, some of that come, blows back on him that – these things have happened and, and, you know, why you lose that trust on the guy who, who gave you all that. And it kind of looks bad on him, even though obviously it's not Preller's fault about it, but I understandably. So he's going to be very angry about Um, whether he says that in public or if it's just behind closed doors, he's obviously very, very angry about it. And his whole vision for the team included Tatis obviously so now that's not there that's that's one two is um I think not right now I think next year or whenever right before whether it's spring training or if it's um right before he comes back he's gonna have to do a press conference and talk about it all and whatever the truth is say the truth and on top of that and probably more importantly than that he's got to face his teammates in that clubhouse and apologize and say whatever whatever it is that he's going to say which i'm sure it will happen yeah otherwise yeah that that's to start to repair those relationships that's as teammates that's what he has to do three um man his legacy, you know, he's was on his way to being an all-time type player and was really baseball. I mean, I just saw it last night, Gatorade commercial with, with him on TV. He was baseball's like young marketing star that they were putting out there and and he had all those endorsements and stuff like that. And how how is all of this gonna affect that? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's going to. Um but uh, aside from the endorsements and stuff, is is does MLB stop pushing him as hard when he comes back? You know, probably at least for a, a while. I would I would think. You know, that's I don't think they're just going to come back and all of a sudden be plastering him everywhere. Um. So those are. Those are my, my final thoughts on it, but it's a, uh, it's a crazy situation. It's sad. Oh, the four. <clears throat> I said this to you before we started filming too. Um, 
see a lot of people saying, you know, trade him, give up on him, whatever. We're enabling him. You know, he comes back next year and he hits 25 homers and they're in the playoffs and then they're trying to go to the World Series. I don't think anybody's going to be saying that. There's other classic. I know he's the highest profile case in a long time, but there's other examples right now going on of people forgetting or not caring about things that have happened in the past for players. So, you know, you can be mad and frustrated and, and disappointed in all those things, but at the end of the day, he comes back and he plays well. Uh, I think people, fans are going to forget about it. Players, you know, I think that stigma is tough to get rid of. Players don't love other players who uh, fail tests, and that's all there is to it. But, um, yeah, man, crazy story. Uh, I could <laughs> – I could do three full episodes on all this, I think. So let's uh, we'll we'll just leave it there and, and we'll we'll move on. I all very great points made by you there. Um, so the other big baseball news that I had was it was kind of kind of shocking a little bit. The the Rangers fired their manager Chris Woodward. Um, so the Rangers are currently fifty one and sixty three. They're twenty three games out of first place in the AL West. Uh, and in Woodward's time there, he's two hundred eleven and two hundred eighty seven was his career record in Texas. But we, we, I remember because it was right around the time Nathaniel Lowe came on, and that was when the Rangers were on this uptick where they, uh, on June 1st, they were at 500. And then since then, it's obviously been downhill. But yeah, it's just been a weird season for Texas. They go out and they spend half a billion dollars on Seeger and Simeon. Um, and they have this horrific record in one-run games, which I'm sure is kind of the reason why Woodward got the axe now. They're 6-24 and 24 in one-run games this year. So that's kind of that might be mostly the manager's fault that's not pulling the right strings that's not playing the matchups correctly but um yeah what, what did you think about when you heard chris woodward getting the axe today yeah i didn't even know until you told me that's the beauty of uh waking up in japan but you i think you just said it one the run, the one run games definitely is gonna is gonna get some blame whether that's true or just bad luck but I think at the end of the day, they believed they were going to take a, a good step forward this year. And I don't think whatever the front office or, or ownership vision was, is, 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 has been playing out. So like you said, or like I've said before, you can't fire the whole team, especially when you pay two guys that much money and Seager and, and Simeon. So you know, as a manager, the blame falls on you. So, and I think, you know, poor Joe Girardi, man. Not poor Joe Girardi, but Joe Girardi. The Phillies give him the axe. Thompson takes over, and they they've been <laughs> they've been nails since then. So, I feel, you know, I feel like the other teams are like, well, maybe it'll work. Maybe we can turn this around or something. So that might be. Uh, might have hurt Woodward a little bit too there. I mean, I think, you know, uh, so third base coach Tony Beasley is going to be the interim manager. I, I can't wait for the storyline in the next week when the Rangers rip off like five straight wins or whatever. Like, you know, that's just that's just what's going to happen. It's like a break glass in case of emergency. It's, it's like a guarantee. <laughs> manager gets fired, team rallies, and they pull off this incredible winning streak. So that'll be fun to keep track of. 
Um, but yeah, it's like everything I've read too, is that like the, the GM was kind of like, we want to get this thing going with an eye towards 2023. Cause this is a team that does kind of aim to be competitive sooner rather than later. Um, that like, you know, obviously Seager and Simeon, but they have a great, you know, you know, young pitching staff, all these great young pitchers they've drafted within the last couple of years. So, uh, and obviously anchored uh, at first base by the goat Nathaniel Lowe. So, um, you know, they, they have a, a very solid roster there. So I feel like once they get somebody in there pulling the right strings, uh, they'll be right back in it with Houston in the AL West because I feel like that's a division that's, you know, but outside of Houston, I mean, Seattle's good, but LA and, you know, Oakland, I yeah, I, I think Texas could be right back in there. So. Um, I agree. I agree with you. Yeah, they uh, definitely have a solid roster, and <clears throat> I don't think uh, Chris Young's the GM there now who was a pitcher for a long time, and I, I don't think he hired Woodward. Um, so he probably, he could have been part of the front office there, but you know, he might want to, uh, kind of find somebody else that might align with his vision or, or his thoughts more or philosophy, whatever. So, uh, I guess we'll, guess we shall see. Yeah. That might've been like a John Daniels, um, like kind of thing. I feel like that might've been his kind of move, but, um, yeah, I think baseball is better when Texas is good. I think back to those early 2010 teams. I was a big Rangers fan. Oh. Michael, Michael Young was one of my favorite players growing up. So uh, when the Rangers are good, baseball is good. That's what I always say. Those, those teams were awesome. Yes. <laughs> That's what I always say. Yes, those teams were those teams were awesome. The hitters, man, they had some they had some hitters. I love watching oh. them. It's like the whole, it's like the tweet where it's like guys could literally just sit around and name like old like players on sports, you know, whatever. Like Hank Blaylock. Just Hank I can Blaylock, man. Hank Blaylock, Michael Young. Salt to Lamakia. Oh, those teams. Dude, Nelson Cruz, Adrian Beltre, Josh Hamilton. I mean, they had they had dude, some hitters. No doubt about no it. Pitching, no pitching. Elvis Andrews, dude. That World Series was one of the best World Series. I mean, I'll never forget watching that World Series on the Cardinals. Yes. Ever. Yeah, I mean, that's – damn it. Now, now I'm getting a style. I, I really like those Rangers teams. They, <laughs> dude, they were good teams. Yeah, Cliff Lee. They they were great, dude. They really they really were. Uh, last thing on Woodward, my 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 lasting memory of Chris Woodward was when he got really like deeply pissed off in Fernando Tatis, uh, you know, callback. Well, in twenty twenty when he had a home run on the three zero pitch when they were winning ten to three, and then he was talking about how he didn't like it personally, and you know, just like the the rules of baseball. Uh, people forget that that was a thing. So that that's my lasting impression uh, of Chris Woodward is. Uh, don't swing at three zero pitches around him because he will he'll, he'll run you into the ground. <laughs> uh, anywho, oh, man. um, all right. Uh, we have three last things. We have our a really cool fudging awesome moment of the week that I think literally just happened hours before we recorded this. Yeah, our, fu- our fudging moment. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm coughing. Our fudging awesome moment of the week <clears throat> brought to you by the original Fudge Kitchen. You can find them at thefudgekitchens.com with an S, uh, shipping sweet treats and fudge all over the country. Man, the best. They're, I, I, I got to like unfollow on Instagram because it's going to drive me crazy. Every time I see their posts, it looks so good. Uh, Philly, Jersey Shore listeners, summer's winding down. As you're leaving the, uh, the old shore, go check them out in Wildwood, North Wildwood, Ocean City, Stone Harbor, <clears throat> and Cape May. That is the original Fudge Kitchen. They ship all over the country. 
our California listeners, you can have the great fudge too. Go to fudgekitchenswithans.com and check them out. So uh, this is also Padres related. So it's very Padres heavy today. So the Padres are done are down in Miami right now playing the Marlins. And there's a fan who wanted to trade with, with Mike Clevenger. Uh, he's like, you know, I can, what can I do to get a ball? So, you know, the Mike Clevenger gave the guy a ball and then the guy ran over and he got, grabbed a can of Corona and then Clevenger came back and they exchanged. So it was a, it was a one for one trade ball for beer uh, that, you know, tossed it over the outfield fence there. And I just think, you know, just guys being dudes, you know, just straight up, I'll, I'll take a beer for it. I thought that was really cool. Uh, and that's what I'm going to use as our awesome member of the week. Would, would you do that? Would, would a fan, you know, would, would a fan trade be something on the table for you? I would trade with a fan for sure. I don't know if I'd go beer. I think Clev, Clev can probably pull that off better than I could, but uh, I would definitely trade with a fan for, you know, maybe a hot dog, something like that. I would definitely get a nice ballpark dog or something along those lines instead of uh, instead of the beer maybe. But, hey, I respect it, no doubt. Has there ever been – like I've seen clips of – maybe it was like Miguel Cabrera where like ate like some fans' popcorn – uh, and, you know, you see guys like kind of steal stuff or ha- has your interactions with the fans out and left or first or whatever, like, has that ever just been like, has it just been words exchange or have you actually, you know, maybe some goods? I don't think, I think it's just been words. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I've ever, uh, not in the major leagues, at least maybe in the minor leagues along somewhere, <clears throat> but I talked to the fans in San Diego and right field a lot for sure. That was always fun, but I don't think I've had that type of interaction in in the major leagues in Japan. We're kind of like the fans at the game is like a no, it's like a force field. It's like, no, I think since, uh, since COVID became a thing, they're like, it's just, we don't even like throw balls into the stands. We're not supposed to. Really? Yeah. Along the same lines of just don't, you know, they can cheer, but don't, don't physically talk or exchange balls with them. Dang. Yeah. They can't do their like chants and singing or whatever still. And um, I don't know. I'm not sure about the exact reason for the ball thing. It could be because people go crazy for balls. Maybe I don't really know, but um, I just know that we been, I was told to, yeah, you throw it to the ball boy. You don't, you don't give it the old toss into the stance. The, the grown adult, like love for baseballs is something that I will never understand because I see it. I go to all these games and, you know, they flip the balls up over the nets and stuff and adults in their, you know, forties, fifties, whatever, whatever, doesn't matter. They're, they're dropping elbows. They're like scrambling for them. It's a, you can go to Dick's sporting goods and get an official baseball for like $10. So I don't know what it is about people, especially adults, especially adults that don't give the ball to a kid, but that just drives me up a wall. Did you ever like, toss a ball to somebody intending for a kid and then just like a dude in his forties, grab it. I can't think off the top of my head, but I'm sure it has. Like we definitely see that a lot. And, you know, players most of the time are trying to throw the ball to a kid. They're not trying to throw it to an adult. I mean, they do. There's times where where you just toss it up there, but most of the time I I feel like you, you see a kid and you're trying to, trying to give it to them. But, you're right. I, I don't know. A lot of people uh, go a little too crazy for it. If it's coming right at you or right next to you, I mean, obviously you try to catch it, whatever, but 
yeah, definitely seen some people go a little bit out of their way for for some baseballs, no doubt. Yeah, it's it's an epidemic in this country, so we really need to figure <laughs> we need to figure it out. I don't know what I don't know what we as a society have have you know come to be that you know pushing kids out of the way for a baseball. But I don't know, maybe it's just something we got to work on. Okay, yeah, it's a ten dollar baseball. Anywho, um, all right, uh, next up for you guys. So we did this last week was the inaugural one. And this is something that we're going to continue to do each week here on Breaking Bats. Uh, this is the Not For Long Media Top 5. So each week across all Not For Long Media podcasts, uh, starting with the Colin Thompson Show, which I do every Sunday with Colin and Jack, um, and, you know, expanded across the whole podcast network, we're going to be ranking things, and we're going to have, like, a big group graphic made. So last week we did chicken wing flavors. This week, uh, kind of in that same vein of flavors, we're going to do Gatorade flavors. So the Top 5 Gatorade flavors. And, Brian, I'm going to let you start. Because as an athlete for many years, you've drank in many a Gatorade in your day. Uh, so uh, the floor is yours. I'm going to start by saying there's nothing. there was nothing better than being a kid, getting done, you know, whatever practice it was and, and having a nice, the, the twist, you know, the twist top Gatorade, yep. chugging that afterwards. Oh, the nostalgia is, is real. But <clears throat> number five, I'm going to start with, and this is funny. Because I don't even know how to exp- – two of these flavors on here, I don't even know how to honestly explain them. They're just what they are to me. Like, I don't know. So, number five is Riptide Rush. It's purple. Oh. And I don't really – like, I don't really know what flavor it is, but I love it. So, that's number five. It's just rip- it's Riptide Rush. That's what it is. Number four, another purple. It's Fierce Grape. Just an intense – Intense grape flavor. Love it. Number three will be Glacier Cherry. A little more intense flavor there, too. Love the cherry. But two and one are really my what separate. In my my own personal opinion here. I know I showed you earlier. I have your favorite right next to me, but it's not, it's not one of my top two. So you can you can have it. I do enjoy it, but it's not one of these two. Number two is cool blue which would be the go-to with the, the twist off there. Cool blue. Love it. I'm a little more, I need, I like the the real sugary ones. You know, I don't like the, the, the rain or any of that stuff. And a number one, a little bit of an obscure one is X factor, lemon, lime, and strawberry. I don't even know if they make it anymore. This was, I don't remember the last time I had it, but Google it. It's there. It's real. And if you ever get a chance to drink it, it is by far the best one. I've never heard of X Factor. I thought you were talking about the singing show for a minute. Yes. See, I feel like an idiot because you know the official names as Brian's holding it up. Head on to the, the Breaking Bats YouTube channel to see what he's holding up. Um, I, I feel like Come find us. Yes, please sponsor the pod. Uh, <laughs> I feel like a child because like, I know you have like the official like government names of these Gatorade flavors. Like, you're, call, you're calling them. colors. Yeah, you're calling it Marshall Mathers, and I'm just like, I like Eminem. <laughs> you know, you've got these people's legal names yeah. for these flavors. I just know the colors. So yellow, orange, yep. red, nice. Yep. So I think I'm gonna do my best to try to, you know, provide a great description of what these are. But uh so number five for me, I know it as dark blue, but it's I guess it's cool blue. Uh the twist, you know, Dark the blue. squeeze twist bottle, whatever. Uh, th- those those are pretty good. Um, that's number five. Number four, I like strawberry. Uh, 
So kind of the you know lighter shade of red there if you're going by the color scale. Uh, it's I don't know, just pretty good. It, it was okay. Uh, number three though, th- three, two, three, and one. Those are my favorites. So number three, I have Fruit Punch, the red one. Uh, Colin was vehemently against this one. I feel like on <laughs> his one yesterday. I don't know why. It's a classic. Uh, number two, I have Orange. I think that might be the technical name for it too. I think it's just called Orange. I think it is. Yeah. Uh, I love it. it. There's there's nothing better than than a good giant orange one. And then number one is Brian held it up a second ago. It's Glacier Freeze, or as I call it, Light Blue. It, it, my love affair with this started when you're sick as a kid and you tell your mom to go to the grocery store and please get as many light blue Gatorades as you can get. I used to get the ones with the handle that came in like the jug. Put yep. those in the yep. Put those in the back of the refrigerator. Uh, I love it. There's there's really no competition here. Um, I, you know, Brian had American Idol as his number one flavor of Gatorade. <laughs> That's fine, but light blue is the clear number one in my opinion. I appreciate your color scale and and that you just call it the colors because that is definitely one way definitely one way to do it <clears throat> it's i mean like i riptide rush i don't yeah. know what that is gun to my head I'm like, what are you talking light about purple look yeah okay, light please. purple i think the majority of our <laughs> audience will know the gatorades as the colors so you know i agree but you know i will see colin i can probably understand where colin's coming from because i feel like college may have slightly ruined a few of those colors slash flavors you you just <laughs> named for me um yeah so overexposed those one those, yeah that's won't be in my top five he loves he loves lemon lime i don't not a fan that's the ones you, you get the, I, like the, the stirred and the yeah. things yep not not doing that i can still do lemon lime i think that's like a nostalgia thing too because it's like i feel like that's like the original yeah, one, but the uh, all those, yeah, dude. I think college ruined <laughs> ruined those <laughs> basic flavors for me. Yeah, now you're going off. You know, now you're going off the rails and picking ones that don't even exist <laughs> anymore. Uh, so head on over to Not for Long Media's page on Instagram. I think Twitter too, uh, and check out our our not our Not for Long Media top five. Uh, last but not least, this week we're gonna do the Breaking Bats top five. Uh, but first we have to clean up last week. We did uh, top five best nicknames in baseball history. And your boy Justin won. No. 53, 53 to 47. Uh, head on over to the Breaking Bats pod on Instagram each Friday to vote in our poll. Uh, so our record, we both are now 3-3-1 three, three, and one on the season. So we have that one tie in there. But uh, it's, you know, it's been fun to keep track. Look, I took off the one that I beat you in with the Juan Soto trade destination. So that one doesn't count. Right? That, that one doesn't exist. So now we're 3-3-1. Three, three, and one. I got to go back and look. I think you're just making this shit up. <laughs> it's all part of my master plan. I'm just going to gaslight yep. you into thinking that you're losing every week. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what's <laughs> happening here. I know. Uh, I feel good about this week's though. Uh, you know, in honor of uh, Edwin Diaz's closer entrance with the trumpets, I think it's called Narco. Um, it went viral, yeah. super mega viral. So in honor of that, this week we're going to be doing the top five closer entrances of all time. So uh, I will start us out. With number five, and I have the shirt on today in honor of that. Uh, again, head on over to the Breaking Bats YouTube channel to check out what I'm talking about. Number five, uh, Zach Britton. He came out to For Those About to Rock by ACDC. Uh, so I, I was telling Brian before this, uh, you know, when the Orioles, from 2012 to 2016, they had the most wins in the American League. 
And a large part of that was because uh, Zach Britton was shutting the door. I was there for a lot of those games as a partial season ticket holder for many years there. Uh, so the 30 times a year I go to the Orioles games, Zach Britton comes in, the stadium lights flicker for those about to rocks playing. You can't beat that. Uh, so that's number five. Number four, uh, it's going to be Edwin Diaz. It's going to be Narco Trumpets. I think it's I think it's good. Uh, I don't think it's as great as people are talking about, but I do think it's worthy of being on a top five. Um, number three, old school Trevor Hoffman, Hell's Bells. Those those old entrance clips, you can find those on YouTube of Hoffman coming in. Those are awesome. Uh, number two, I'm going with the Yinzer, David Bednar, and Renegade by the Sticks. Had to be in there. I think I talked about this last week. Uh, you know, if you're a Steelers fan, you love this already, but Bednar coming out to that, just crack an icy light and watch Bednar shut the door. That's that's all you got to do when you hear Renegade by the Sticks playing. Uh, and last but not least, number one, I have Mariano Rivera's Enter Sandman. I mean, that's greatest closer of all time, greatest closer entrance of all time, Metallica. So uh, that is my five through one. Those are, those are good ones. Can't argue with them at all. <clears throat> Before I get started on mine, I just want to say to the MLB, you don't need all these rule changes and stuff to make the game better. You see how they followed Diaz in for that entrance? That shit is electric. That's what we need. We need more things like that. You see how much people like that, and now it's this gigantic thing. You just got to market better and, and use those cameras better, man. That stuff is awesome, and people are going to love it. So side note there, sorry. My top five, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my honorable mention and put him in there, and I'm going to take Edwin Diaz out because we're just doing this because Edwin Diaz is for the record. I love, I love the Edwin Diaz thing. I think it's awesome. I think, I think it fits him perfectly and he's been unbelievable. So number five for me is going to be my teammate last year, Mark Melanson, Thunderstruck or Thunder, sorry, Thunderstruck coming out uh, for the Padres. It was phenomenal. They got the flames going out there. Mark the Sharks, the best uh, hilarious too. So he's number five for me. Number four is going to be Eric Gagne. Welcome to the jungle, man. He was unbelievable. I think people forget how good he was for that stretch there in LA, man. He was about as lights out as, as it has ever gotten. Uh, so he's number four, number three. And I, he's made it known recently that he believes he's one of the best walkouts ever. Jonathan Papelbon shipping up to Boston with the Red Sox. I mean, it just fit like the whole thing. It's just, it's just so perfect. Uh, it's, it's great. Uh, so he's number three, number two, Trevor Hoffman, Hell's Bells. I know, I know Hoffy. He is the most laid back surfer guy you could ever, you could ever meet. But man, was he <laughs> dominant? And was that entrance just, oh, the bell start, dude? Yeah, that's you're like fuck. Here we go. Gotta gotta face this shit now. Awesome. He's number two. Again, number one. Yeah, I mean, it has to be Mariano Rivera. Enter Sandman. That guy threw basically one pitch for his entire career, and really no one could hit it still. And coming in, him coming in to close the game, and you hear you hear that guitar riff start playing. Metallica. It's uh, as much as you don't want to admit it, you're like, shit, this is it. It's happening. We don't really have a chance here, but uh, here we go. Let's try. So 
Rivera, I mean, I feel like the, I feel like that's the one everybody would go to, right? Iconic. How many of these songs that we named today could you play on guitar? Because you're an axe man yourself, according to your top baseball card. One, two, I could enter Sandman, Bells, Bells, Thunderstruck, Welcome to the well, yeah, probably four of wow. mine. I never learned Renegade. I could probably play Renegade too. For the, I mean, I'm not saying the entire the entirety of the songs. Some of those solos are pretty legit there, but at least uh, at least the riffs that people would know. Yeah, I, I could I could knock them out. Thunderstruck's like that's fast as shit. That's 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 probably most Thunderstruck impressive. was a good one. That was one of my favorite ones to play. Yeah, it's that's uh, it's it's not easy, but I did it. I I wanted to learn it so bad. I did it so much that yeah, I, I got it down back in the day. You got to take Woods up on his offer to have a jam sesh. I just talked to Woods the other day. Yeah, we, we might, you know, if we ever remember back in San Diego, we might, we might have to do it. <laughs> he's he's doing, they're doing great. They're yeah. hanging in there. His his catcher picture the other day was very, very funny. Oh, dude, that was, oh my God, that was great. I was cracking off the day. Full uniform. Dude, this is why I love Twitter. I, I don't know. I don't, I think it was just, somebody on Twitter. I don't think it was like Ben and Woods or anything like that, but they, <laughs> they put that picture, like photoshopped it into, you know, a mound visit. And he's like on the side standing <laughs> like that. And I think, I think it was like Tatis and like the pitcher talking like just next to him. And he's just like standing there in the catcher's dude. I was cracking up at it. It was, it was, Whoever did that, Bravo! It was that was quality Photoshop and Twitter right there. That's fantastic. We need we, we need to get them back on. I would love to hear their takes on this stuff. I know we really. I'll talk to them. We really do because you didn't. Uh, you didn't get to meet them, man. That was the first one. I did it by myself. Yeah, and I like I said, That's I crazy. listen to their show. Like when Adam Jones is on, obviously when you're on, uh, and even you know even when they don't have guests, I, I just really love I really love their show. So I listened to that uh, with the, I think it's the Audacity app or whatever, but uh, yeah, I'm a big fan. So we need to work on that's, that. That's so fun. Dude, that feels like it was so long ago. That was just no interview or no intro, just just me oh, and Ben and Woods just rolling right into it. That was, uh, wow, good times. Um, but our, our, like I said, our interview for this week, 2019 World Series champion and MLB veteran Matt Adams. Um Great, great idea by you. I'll give you credit for this one. And man, like I said earlier, turned out to be one of my favorite interviews. Just an awesome guy. Funny dude. Great stories. Um, Still playing, still doing it, talking about everything. And uh, (laughs) it was cool to hear. I'm sure it was really cool for you as 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 a Nats fan. But to hear that, you know, that somebody on that team, the turnaround and just everything that that happened was was really cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's he was one of my favorite players when he was on the Nationals, just like his dugout dancing, his home runs that were always seeming to be 500 feet um, and, and just watch him in the parade. It's like I remember because I was in the parade in D.C. when they won it. I remember uh, a fan threw like a full Bud Light at him. And he caught it with one hand and he just cracked it and dumped it all over himself. I'm like, this guy is the best. So, uh, like, like Brian said, just a fantastic interview. Um, you know, and, and Nationals fans, Cardinals fans, we covered a lot. Uh, yeah, it's gonna be a great one. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of, a lot of Cardinal stuff from him coming up too, and uh, checking in with him what he's doing currently. So, 
Uh, with all that being said, let's send it to our interview. Uh, 2019 world champion, Matt Adams. Our guest today on Breaking Bats is Big City, Matt Adams. The MLB veteran has played for the Cardinals, Braves, Nationals, Rockies, uh, was part of the 2019 World Series champion Washington Nationals, which was just an incredible team. I can't wait to talk about that. And he is currently playing for the Kansas City Monarchs and is a fellow Pennsylvania native, a little more Western Pennsylvania than, than myself, I believe. But, Matt, thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for thanks for having me, guys, and uh, just looking forward to talking shop here. Yeah, I know. We were trying to get this uh, – get this going for a little bit here. Our schedules have been tough to, to match up. So I'm just excited to have you on and hear your stories, man. You got a, you got a great story coming from, um, you know, slippery rock University division two and dominating there. And then, you know, being a really good, really good big leaguer for a long time. And, um, but I want to talk right now, how's, how's Kansas city and how's independent ball going? I know when we were talking real quick before you said that, you kind of it's kind of helped you love the game again yeah it's uh you know at first I wasn't really sure what to think of it but uh my wife does a really good job of, of keeping me grounded and and really looking at the positives and and trying to search out and find the positives in each opportunity so uh after talking with her and and uh it, Kansas City being so close to home you know signed to come here and play and um just I, I I couldn't imagine not doing this. Uh, the the league is actually way better than what I was expecting. There's there's a lot of good players, both uh, pitchers and position players here. Um, and like you said, like I told you, it it's allowed me to really find myself again and really put the business side of the game behind me and and just go out on the field each and every day and. And enjoy being around, you know, my teammates and, and going to battle and, and competing with, uh, you know, those guys again and, and really just, you know, keeping it simple and having having a blast doing it. So um, just really, really thankful for for this year and uh, the way it's gone so far. So looking forward to finishing strong. That's awesome. Yeah, I had a, another buddy who uh, he said the most fun he ever had playing was in independent ball because it was just like you said, it was just him playing baseball again. And he he just loved it. And I know Kansas city always has good teams. I know we talked about Gabby Guerrero um, being one of your teammates over there. He retired, but I played with him in Louisville and, and Pensacola. Yeah. So I know Gabby well. Um, yeah, and I, I, a bunch of good dudes that, uh, I think we might have the oldest team in independent league. <laughs> uh, we got a lot of veterans, uh, but uh, no, it's just it's 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 a blast and it's it's fun to to see like there there's no egos. Uh, you know the egos are gone. Uh, everybody's out here just playing playing the game that they love to play and and having fun doing it with the same goal and same dream in mind of. You know, trying to get back to the big leagues, trying to make it to the big leagues, and and keep their playing career going. Yeah, there's definitely good players there because I've seen when I was looking. You know, I recognized a ton of the names that were on the roster. I'm like, oh, I know that guy or whoever it is. And what what league is that? This is the uh, the American Association. Okay, yeah. So 
that's a good league. And you go, uh, that's all around the Midwest, right? Yeah, all through the Midwest. Uh, go to both Dakotas, uh, Dakota, Nebraska, yeah. Iowa, uh, Illinois, and then uh, Kansas City. So it's it's nice because you know I'm home base for me now is uh, St. Louis. So uh, it's nice. Uh, my wife can hop in the car and uh, drive up. Whether we're in Illinois, Nebraska, we're we're close. So. Uh, can come make a lot of games and and uh makes it nice to be able to see her too yeah that's that's definitely nice but what about last last question on on this and then we'll just we'll let jay get rolling here how's the bus rides taking you back to the to the bus rides you're a big dude i don't know how you're fitting in those those bus rides for that long time yeah it uh it's been 10 years since i've been uh on a on a bus ride uh, you know, after games right now, we're, what we're doing is we're leaving, not even right after the games to go to the next city. We're leaving at like one, two o'clock in the morning and hopping in a bus. And, uh, at least we got, we got the futon sleeper, but, uh, but most of the, most of the bus rides are anywhere from six and a half to, to eight hours. So it's a grind for sure. It, uh, it took me back to, you know, the, low a uh double a and even a little bit of triple a days so uh but it's it's nice the guys we uh we got a little card game going uh on all the bus rides so it takes our mind off of the how much longer we got and uh, we can just dive into that card game and and keep it loose and and have fun yeah the bus rides are uh they can be rough but they can also be a whole lot of fun too so that's i don't I never minded the bus rides, dude. I, I'm not a huge fan of flying. So, yeah, the show flights are a little different. They're a little more relaxing and comfortable. But uh, here in Japan, we fly commercial. And like last night, we flew it was like a 45 minute flight and it was storming. And we we're on one of the little planes. And I'm just like, oh, bouncing all up. <laughs> oh, dude, I can't take it. I don't, I don't know. I didn't never was like this. I don't know what changed, but all of a sudden I have like a slight fear of flying. So it's, I would, I would love to be on a six hour bus ride instead. I take the train. We take the bullet train if I can, but gotcha. from where we were yeah. last night, can't do it. But uh, that's <laughs> awesome. That's, that's funny, man. I do miss the car games and the, the futon sleeper buses. Those are, those are pretty good. I don't know. I don't know how. Go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. I was, I was going to say, I don't know how good you're fitting into one of those. Uh, oh, futon sleepers I definitely uh i'm, I'm definitely I, I bring a body pillow with me because i gotta curl up so i have at least something to, to somewhat make it uh comfortable but i i definitely don't fit in them too well and uh but i'm not in there too long because we uh the card games last for for quite some time so that that makes it makes it nice and then check into the hotel and lay down in a bed and i'm out i'm out cold yeah <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that I'm sure that's how it goes. Jay, those those things are made for for you. They're not they're not made for Matt. But uh, that's awesome. I love it. Go ahead, Jay. Get us going yeah, here. I, I had a question about Kansas City. I mean, I was looking at your numbers. It looks like you're having a great season. I, you're, I think you're an all star in that league. And I looked. You put a home run up on your Instagram story the other day. And as soon as you hit it, the pitcher like hung his head. Like, have you found like a pretty good little groove over there so far this year? Yeah, I. Uh... The, I would say my first 65, 70 at-bats were, were a bit of a, you know, 
going through the ups and downs with it and um, grinding through it. Uh, but uh, I've, I found my groove and uh, really feeling comfortable with the box. And uh, it, I got good guys hitting in front of me and behind me, so it makes it nice and uh, kind of takes the pressure off, uh, off of me. I think early on I was trying to do too much because I felt like, you know, I had the most experience on the team, so I felt like guys were looking to me to to try to lead that team. And uh, I'm the type of guy that I just I try to put too much pressure on myself at times. And uh, after having a few conversations with the a few conversations with the guys, kind of took my mind off of it and, and allowed me to to settle in and and just go out there and and do what I I know that I'm capable of doing and uh, just having fun doing it. That's awesome, dude. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely killing it. Uh, I want to take it back, though. So you're a PA guy, Slippery Rock, shout out. I have the Pittsburgh shirt on today in honor of that. Uh, sure. I mean, you, you crush the ball in Slippery Rock, too. Like, I think I look, you're the all-time leader in batting average, slugging, and on base. Like, what was your lead-up to the draft process like back in 09? And, you know, who were some of the teams that were interested? Like, take me back to that time in your life. Yeah, so uh, I really didn't get a lot of uh, interaction with teams uh, it wasn't until like my sophomore summer, I went away and played in the NECBL, uh, and had a really good summer, uh, up in Massachusetts and came into my junior year in 09 and, uh, you know, started getting some letters when I go into the field, uh, for practices and stuff. Uh, coach Messer would have these, uh, letters sitting in my locker and I would, they would just be the questionnaires to, you know, teams wanted to find out some information and then uh after the season went in and, and i think i did maybe two or three pre-draft uh workouts i did one at uh, yankee stadium one down in georgia for the royals and the braves it was like a combined one and then a uh, city field with the mets and then those were i new york and uh both new york teams were the the two teams that i really talked to the most uh, and then, you know, they told me draft, draft day comes and uh, my agent tells me that I, you know, possibly going seventh to the 12th round. And then, you know, that day one's over and sitting there watching, you know, the, the draft and stuff on my computer and just got frustrated. And and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the, the Cardinals called and like I never had any communication with them at all. Uh, before the draft so that was that was a bit of a, a shocking moment to you know have somebody from them reach out and uh, give me an update let me know I think they called in like the 21st round and they said that I was if everything went smoothly the next couple rounds that they were going to take me in the 23rd round so ended up going in the 23rd round and uh, but yeah it was a it was a whirlwind because I'd never any communication with St. Louis at all um kind of excited because I had, you know, being from, you know, Central PA and, and going to school in Western PA, uh, both New York teams were close, uh, only about three and a half hours from, from my hometown, from my parents. So that we were all super excited, uh, but uh, super grateful that the Cardinals uh, took a chance on me in the 23rd round and the rest is kind of history. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, like, the, the Cardinals from an outside perspective always just seem to be, like, and I've talked to Brian about this, just, like, one of the most solidly, like, well-built organizations out there. When you're coming up through the minors, like, what do you think the Cardinals did so different and so much better than everybody else kind of developmentally? Uh, yeah, that's a that's a great point. I, I think uh, the biggest thing that that I, I tell people all the time is 
they focus so much on like doing the little things right, you know, playing fundamental baseball, uh, you know, making the plays uh, that needed to be made. If you, you know, if you made a great play, great, that was like extra, but they were, they were really, really keen on, you know, doing the little things right, moving guys over less than two outs, uh, really putting together good ABs with, Runners in scoring position, less than two outs. Uh, just that's what they hammered, hammered us on uh, all the way, like through every level of the minor league uh, system. Just you know, showing up to the field and just really executing, um, you know, playing fundamental baseball. Yeah, no doubt. So when when you're a young guy coming up to the minors, and even when you got to the big leagues, there, was there like like a veteran that you looked to for leadership, or was there somebody that would kind of you know not take you under his wing, so to speak? Yeah, uh, John Jay and uh, Daniel Descalzo and David Freeze were like the three guys like that, uh, you know, in, in big league spring training camps. Uh, they were always like a year or two ahead of me. Uh, but, you know, we hung out mostly every night after the games uh, in spring training uh, and just talked about the game. And, you know, th- them three really – once I, I got caught up and, and, and debuted, they, like, they took me out to dinner, showed me how to, you know, be a professional both on and off the field. So uh, really, really grateful for those three players that uh, were willing to do that uh, to help me along. Brian, you know, in your case in Cincinnati, was there, was there a few guys, maybe like a Joey Votto or somebody that kind of did what Matt was talking about, take you under the, their wing and just show you how to be a big leaguer? Uh, yeah, there's a couple guys. I mean, I knew I was actually, I knew a lot of guys there by the time I got there already, because, uh, by that point they were, you know, bringing up a lot of the younger guys, uh, Phil Irvin, um, I, my locker was next to Tucker Barnhart and, and Kirk Casale. So those two guys were definitely people that, that I looked to a lot and Jesse Winker, um, even though Wink hadn't like fully established himself to the player that he is now at that time. But uh, it was just, uh, there was more younger guys around there. Um, so I would say not, probably not to the level that, that Matt had with, with those guys who had been around, but um, definitely, you know, you, you always get help from people. Uh, guys are always good about that stuff. And if you ever had questions, you know, Joey, if you ever asked Joey anything, he would talk to me for 15 minutes about it. If I asked him something, but um, it's definitely an adjustment and thankfully, you know, there's guys that, who have been there longer than you that are willing to help and, you know, try to have, have you get better so you can help the team. That's, that's incredible. So you mentioned David freeze. Was he the one that gave you the nickname of big city? <laughs> no, uh, Lance Berkman. I was actually, uh, one of my teammates this question last night on the, the bus ride home. Uh, asking me how I got the nickname and not Lance Berkman. I showed up to spring training in 2012. Maybe, maybe it was 11. It was 11 or 12. Um, and he like came up and like put his arm around me and like told me that, you know, I'm tired of uh big guys being nicknamed big country. So I'm going to call you big city. But I think like, we all think that like, he knew that like where like I was from in Pennsylvania, like wasn't, that big of a, a city it was more of like a little <laughs> little town like there's only a thousand people from like my hometown so 
I think uh, he just kind of threw a little little wrinkle into it as as a joke and and for fun and just uh, called me big city and it, it just kind of stuck. And then uh, thirteen after Berkman was done, uh, Freeze kept it rolling and, and it just kind of stuck. And I'm 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 thankful because I, I kind of really fell in love with. Uh, I never really knew that I would have a, a nickname that would be kind of like not a statement, but like kind of like defined me as like a player. And uh, you know, having that is is pretty cool. And to have Berkman be the guy that that gave it to me is. Uh, even cooler than that. That's so cool. I, there's another nickname I saw on your baseball reference, and I think I vaguely remember hearing people use this, but can you explain Jumbo Pepsi to me? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's not uh, not one that I, I like, but uh, it, it, it makes me chuckle every time just because, like, back, like, coming up through, uh, like, the minors and my first couple years with St. Louis, I was, I was a big dude, and uh, – like overweight and like really didn't do the best job of, of taking care of of my body and, and, and whatnot through the season. And I think, I think they were uh, the one day our on-field reporter, Jim Hayes sent out a tweet asking people uh, what nicknames they would give me. And uh, you know, one of the St. Louis fans responded with Jum- jumbo Pepsi. And then that started like a whole, group of people that that like that nickname and uh the, yeah that's one that uh is associated with me but that's not one that i i like to use but it, it it definitely gives me a good chuckle whenever whenever that one gets brought up hold on when we going through the my first of all going through the minors especially back then it's changed a lot now but it was almost impossible to eat healthy anyway back yeah. then because you Brutal. got no money and they're giving you nothing at the field, and yeah, you're so like it's just nothing but Taco Bell and uh, yeah. <laughs> McDonald's places like that that's open after games. And uh, it wasn't until Double A uh, for us that we we really like our clubby in, in Double A did a really good job of having food for us. But even then, it was a lot of like fast food places yeah. that. We- right around the stadium so yeah that's a that's a great point it, it was definitely not easy to to eat healthy uh in the minor league sure like looking it's changed so much and looking back on it like i don't even it, it's the same like yeah double a i guess it started to change a little bit and i think they that's when they kind of like at least for me they made you know the requirements that teams had to kind of give you good food and stuff whatever and it like it is now yeah but before that, I'd like think I'm like, what? Like, how did I even fucking eat? I don't even know. Like, what was I doing? <laughs> like looking back on like short season and stuff, I'm like, how did this even work? And now, yeah, now they yeah, they have to have it. But it's just funny to think back. It really was like PB and J, whatever random shit was around. Like it, it was crazy. Yeah, I mean, we had like. I I think more often than not, our lunch was PB and Js, and then. Post game food, like if we didn't, if we didn't want to go through the drive through and get the dollar <laughs> McDonald's or the Taco Bell, then we ate pasta that we heated up at the field. We had ramen, like it was the yeah. the cup noodle stuff that that we made. So yeah, it was a uh, looking back on it, it, it definitely uh, it definitely makes you laugh how like how like <laughs> really didn't care 
to take care of their players the way that they are doing, like they're doing a better job, like you said, nowadays. But looking back, it was it was definitely not fun. Yeah. You know, we talk about, you know, you obviously stated that you were a bigger guy back in the day. You're obviously trimmed down since then. But I was reading about your, your Pilates regimen and just kind of like your workout routine that you did to kind of help you get to where you are today. Like, how did you get into all that? And like, do, are, do you still keep up with that now? Yeah, my uh, my wife was the one that got me into that. She was actually uh, she was working with the Cardinals in spring training of sixteen. Uh, they they hired her and brought her on as like the Pilates instructor for the team and like tried it out in spring training. And there was a group of us that every time they would bring her down, uh, you know, we were going and doing the workouts, uh, whether it was before, like early in the morning before camp started, or sometimes we would wait till after the morning workout before the game. And we would get like a short one in then. Um, but yeah, that was the 16 spring was whenever I realized that I needed to, to kind of make a, make a change with my body. Cause I had some fluke injuries and then like I tore my, my hip tendon off the bone, uh, in May of 15, and that was like the last straw when I was like, okay, like my like if I keep going at this rate, my body is not going to hold up for me to to have a career. So I just you know with her being down there and like seeing she's got twenty plus years of working with professional athletes and she's worked with three like all three St. Louis professional sports teams and seeing the clientele that she had really sparked my my uh interest in wanting to you know come up with a program that that put me in a a healthier state to where my body would last throughout the season and um that off season in 16 just sat down with her and and talked it over and she we came up with a plan my workout schedule she she made meals for me she cooked uh she portioned out everything and just got me on like a just a total like change of scenery and and really just did a total reset and got me what my body needed and, and figured out what my body was lacking and uh, but yeah the Pilates was a huge help to where like I, I gained strength in areas that I didn't even know that I had like the small little small little muscles that we like just every day that you don't realize that you need like playing a sport um so that yeah, I still like I we we that off season we developed a fifteen minute routine that I do like before as like kind of like my pre pre game warm up uh, leading up to to game time and yeah I still do that same same pre pre game warm up uh, to this day and it's each each day is a little bit different based on like how my body's feeling and and what I feel like my body needs that specific day but yeah she uh she's really good at what she does and. Uh, we have a we have a Pilates studio in our basement as we speak, <laughs> so it, it uh, just really fell in love with it. And we uh, we I, I can't speak enough of of what that has done for. I wouldn't be where I am today without falling in love with Pilates and and really trusting my wife on uh, you know what my body needs. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean that's when I, I read that article, I was like, that's that's actually really really cool. 
Um, so I'm a Nationals fan. I live in Maryland, and I, I just have so many fond memories of that 2019 team that you were on. When you look back to that year and everything that happened, like how do you remember it all? Honestly, I remember when we got Para and Anibal Sanchez, and and from that day forward, that was whenever we were, I think, nineteen and thirty-two. At the, we, I mean, fifty-one games into it, we're we're twelve games below five hundred, and we bring on these two veterans that just reamped the the clubhouse vibes and and got us to really mesh as a group and uh, just went on a, on a hot streak from for the last 110 or so games and uh, just kept it rolling uh, through the playoffs. And it was just a fun group of guys that I don't think I'll ever have that much fun on a baseball field with again, um, just the type of people that were on that team, uh, the, how, not one single person on that team, both coaching staff and players were like selfish. It was all like, what can I do to help this team keep rolling so that we can, you know, try to make it deep into the, in the playoffs. And we just fed off each other and just went out there and, and had a blast running through teams and uh, beating teams that we weren't supposed to beat. And, going into Dodger Stadium and uh, knocking them off. And it was it was just a blast. And I have the chills right now just thinking about uh, that year. That year very, very special. So what is – I have I have a few. What is your favorite non-World Series moment from that, from that season? From that season, probably hitting my uh, – 100th career homer. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Who was that, that off uh, of? It was off, uh, I think it was Tyon Guerrero from the Marlins. <laughs> Guy throwing 100 he's, miles an hour. And he's, just wait. Uh, yeah, he's here. He's in Japan. Is he really? Yeah. Hell, yeah. That's, that's uh, funny. But yeah, that, uh, that moment doing it at Nats Park uh, with my mom and dad and the and my wife in the in the stands that was a uh, that was a moment I'll I'll remember forever. That's awesome. Was it? Uh, were you starting to feel? Did you know? Like when you're at 99, where you're like, shit, I need I need to hit this. Yeah, <laughs> put put a little pressure on myself. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> because more often than not, I. I never really, besides the 2014 year, like I never really had a full season of like every day at bats. Like I was always the guy that was like coming off the bench, pinch hitting, and then like filling in for for guys that needed a, a day off or if somebody got injured, I would I would get my every day at bats then. So like I knew that like I didn't have I didn't know that like oh yeah I got four more bats tomorrow. So like I put a lot of pressure on myself. I was like okay like I need one more like. I don't know when it's coming, but I need it to come. And, um, but yeah, but uh, very thankful that I got that one, and then that that kind of weight was taken off my shoulders. That's awesome. Uh, a lot of lot of talk going on recently. Your former teammate Juan Soto traded to the Padres. What's your uh, what's your take on him as a player and on that trade? Quickly. Yeah, I think 
I'm I'm happy for him because that like that guy deserves to be on like a team that wants to con- contend each and every year. Like he's a staple in any any team's lineup. Uh, you know, he's your three or four hole hitter that that is going to go out there and put up the numbers that he puts up. And uh, but the thing I tell everybody that that asks me about Soto is I think he's what twenty three years old. Or maybe still think he's 23. He's the oldest 23 year old that I've ever met in my life. He's well beyond his years and he is one of the nicest kids that I've ever, ever come in contact with. Not even just in this, in the, in the game of baseball, but just every day. Like he just is a, his heart is so big and he cares for everybody else. And, uh, just loves playing the game and uh he's he's a he's a one of my favorite teammates that I've ever played with so I'm I'm happy that he he got to a team where uh he's got a good chance of going into the in the playoffs and and, and having a good chance of winning another world series I'm sure our Padres listeners are going to be happy to hear all that but uh one another thing real quick for me and I'll send it back to to Jay to finish these Nationals questions but when when you're hit, I mean, when you're hitting, you're obviously in there to do some damage, get your walks and stuff. So, what's what's your approach at the plate? Are you trying to hit home runs, or are you just taking nice, easy swings and and letting them come? Yeah, I, that's a that's a great question. I I tell everybody, I if I'm I'm the guy that if I try to go up there and hit homers, um, I'm gonna go zero for four with four strikeouts. <laughs> Um, so like less is less is more for me. And like, that's like a, that's a mantra that I use daily. Um, you know, as I'm walking up to the plate for my daily routine or like for my pre at bat routine, um, telling myself just, you know, less is more, keep it simple. Uh, I would say my approach is I'm always on a, I'm always on a fastball. I always want to be on time for a fastball to drive that uh you know back up the middle hard back up the middle towards center field and maybe even a touch to the left of center field and that way uh that keeps me on the off speed pitches as well it gives me that that split second to where i can i can add that nice little pause uh to recognize that it's an off speed pitch and try to you know stay back and and stay through the ball but uh now i'm always on i'm always on time for a heater and Take my nice, easy, effortless swing and and drive through it, dude. You're literally like preaching the quad. Like that's exactly what I'm. What I try to I, effortless is the exact word that that I use in my head. So that's that's. I pre. Nice. I like how you are a big dude who can hit it a long way, but your your swing is super simple and and short. Like it's not a ton of movement, and it's. I I just think that's that's awesome. So I was curious to to hear about exactly what you're thinking. I, I love it. Easier yeah. said than done for sure. Right. But exactly. Yeah. I, I, but you but know, no, I, uh, I gave that whole like 17, like the off season of 16 going into 17. Like I tried the whole launch angle swing and, and, you know, having all creating all this movement to, to swing a bat. Like, and I tell everybody my first 16 at bats in spring training and in, in 17, I went over, over 17 with like 13 or 14 strikeouts. And I was like, like, I cannot hit like this. So like <laughs> the, 
after after that seventeenth at bat, I went in the next day and like I showed up like an hour and a half before like report time. So I got there like five AM, met like one of the coaches there and just started to get the work of, of trying to get back to that what I what I always did my whole life and, and what I'm what I'm doing now is just, you know, taking like you said, like taking that effortless swing and um not having a whole lot of, of movement. Like that's just that's just not me. Some guys it works for, but uh you know, for us it's you know, less is more. So I'm I'm happy to hear that that's that's what you do as well. That's so Definitely cool. some uh yeah, you're giving me some good advice for for right now too. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Nice. Awesome. Yeah, really, you're really yeah. doing it. <laughs> you uh you mentioned Gerardo Parra earlier, and I just have to ask, like when you first heard Baby Shark as his walk up song, what was your take then? And then like as the season like went along, did you get in more into it? Were you doing the little like baby shark claps and everything else? Oh yeah. We uh first like his first at bat, everybody was like looking at each other in the dugout and we're like is this guy for real that he just put this as his walk-up song? But then, like, after the game, we found out that uh, he went, like, his – it was, like, one of his daughter's favorite, uh, like, cartoons and, like, her favorite song. So uh, he asked her what she wanted his walk-up song to be, and, and she said the Baby Shark song. So that that's what inspired that. And, and it started a whole on – phenomenon like not even just at Nats like Nats Park if we were on the road we had people like behind our dugout in Dodger Stadium in the playoffs doing the baby shark when he went up to bat like it was just it was unbelievable and then he went over he was in Japan I think last year and he had it as his walk-up so he kept it as his walk-up song over there and it just like it it's odd. like the whole dugout was we I mean some guys were doing this but other guys <laughs> doing like the full on like big like chomps and it it like it was awesome like everybody in in the stadium fed off of it and he's just he like he's one of the best people ever and for him to to have that walk up song it makes it that much like doesn't make it like goofy or, or whatnot like the, everybody was just like that's para that's just who he is and um that was a spark plug that, that we needed and it was it was awesome yeah it was i've never had more fun at a stadium than when he's hitting and that's going off and he just seems like the ultimate vibes guy too with like the glasses and he's hugging everybody especially i think strasburg didn't like to be hugged he just him and Anibal sanchez would just run over and bear hug him together oh yeah they got they got Strauss to come out of his shell uh in 19 and like that para showed up when when we were at home he had this white scooter and like as the year went on he had like little baby shark uh like dolls on the handlebars of his scooter and he would come in like full speed like through the clubhouse riding this electric scooter and like he had a he had a horn on it and he would just like ride through honking the horn and just like that's what we started our day off with was par riding through the clubhouse honking his horn with his white scooter with the baby sharks on it and it like like when you have a guy doing that like whether he went four for four the night before or oh for four like he did that every single day 
and it just we just started the day off like in a positive like happy place and like that goes more than than some people may may imagine but uh when you have a guy like that that's that's able to create that vibe and create that culture it uh it goes a long way that's fantastic all right i just have a couple more for you thank you so much for hopping on here tonight yeah um, absolutely when, when Daniel Hudson made the last out in the World Series in Houston, can you describe what it felt like to realize that you were a World Series champion? It didn't feel, like, real. Like, we were – Para and me and our BP pitcher, Ali Madami, who's now with the Angels, we were up in the hallway at, in Minute Maid in the cage because, like, we were getting ready to, to pinch in in case something happened. And all of a sudden, like, we hear, like, a lot of booze. And, like, the feed was – Brian, you know this. Like, the feed in the clubhouse and, like, in the in the cages and stuff is, like, so delayed. So, we're like, what the – like, what the hell happened? And and then all of a sudden, they, like, it came on the TV that Howie hit the, the go-ahead homer off the foul pole. And uh, so, we, we put our bats down. We rushed down to the dugout. And we stayed down there and like to see it felt like that the bottom of the ninth inning took an hour and a half because it it, would, it felt like it was in slow motion. The whole like the whole inning, because everybody was like so anxious and so excited that like we're like three outs away from being like champions and that final out that swing and miss and like seeing him and Gomes hands up in the air that everybody's chucking their gloves. Everybody's running out of the dugout. Like it, it, it didn't feel real. And it still doesn't feel real. Like to say that, like I was in that dugout, I was like celebrating on that field with like my brothers as champions. And like, they, it's, it, it was just such a special moment. I love that. And then, you know, and then the parade and the Caps game after, it just seems like that was like a nonstop, nonstop, like week-long party you guys had. Yeah, it was uh, – the, the plane ride back was epic. Uh, I think I think we sang We Are the Champions the last, like, hour and a half of the, the plane ride. Uh, we had our families on there, uh, and then we landed in D.C. to probably shoot at least 10,000 fan, like fans at the airport, like greenness, like outside of the tarmac, like as the buses drove away and uh, yeah. And then you like the caps games, like being introduced and being down there celebrating with them. They celebrated with us a year before when they won the, the Stanley cup. So that was uh that was a pretty cool moment. And then I have pictures on my phone of like, when we came around Pennsylvania Avenue, like to see like how packed that place was and uh, people hanging from trees, people like cars, like backed up, like the on-ramps to the highway, like people standing on top of their cars, like it. And, and then like every building down Pennsylvania Avenue had at least five or six snipers on the rooftop to like, like make sure that like everything like stayed in check. And like, that was like, uh, just seeing everything that was unfolding that day, like was, was really really cool and 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 definitely something that I'm glad that I have on tape that I can go back and watch with my family over and over and over again. I love that, dude. All right, last question for me is: What's the best piece of advice uh, you've ever received? To, I would say that it was 
I got it from multiple coaches, both in pro ball and in college, was to play, have fun playing this game like it's going to be your last game ever. So leave, you know, you put that uniform on, don't take it for granted that you're going to be able to put it on tomorrow and to go out on that field and leave everything out there and, and just have fun doing it. That was that's something that stuck with me from from a younger age and something that I live by to this day. So I would say that that definitely has to take the take the kick there. That's awesome, man. I love it, Matt. This has been phenomenal, dude. It was uh, so fun to hear about all that little little hitting vice in there, too. That uh, the World Series, man, watching it, that whole thing was just electric. I can't when you were telling those stories, I had chills too. That the Kendrick home run was was amazing. Uh, just uh, just cool to hear your perspective on on all that. And man, thanks again for coming on. We really appreciate it. Wish you the best of luck the rest of the way here, and stay healthy. And man, we'll uh, maybe one day get you back on here. <laughs> talk about exactly, some more bro any anytime um, i i appreciate you guys wanting to, to bring me on i love talking about the game love talking about just everything that goes on uh you know both on and off the field that, that some people don't realize and uh it's not all the glamorous uh you know <laughs> like lifestyle like you gotta it's it's a grind for sure. Even even at the big league level, it's it's still a grind. So um, I, I love that that you guys wanted me to come on and then share some of the stories. So um, wish you nothing but the best. Hope uh, you finish this, finish the season strong over there, and, and best of luck in in your career. And and hopefully one day our paths will cross, and maybe even be able to play on the same team together. I would love that. That would be really cool. Appreciate it, man. Have All a right, uh, have a great day, and thank you again. And before we get out of here, a special thank you to the band Stick Figure for allowing us to use today's intro and outro music. Son